Lord Jesus. Let's stand together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. I hope you realize how blessed you are today. If that is a desire from your soul to want to serve Him. Because there's none of us that were actually born that way naturally. Now, we might have got religious, but being religious and being saved is two different things, as we all know. But to have a desire to serve Him, to live for Him, we are so blessed. Ephesians 4, 20. What a profound uh, passage is that we're going to read here today. Listen carefully. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And that's the way we were all born. Corrupt, deceitful lust. And then listen to this in verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Spirit of your mind. That ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. And then this quote in Uniting Time and Time. This is what makes this possible for us here today. What a unity. When God united himself in a human body, the principle, the greatest of all the unitings that was ever done was when God united with man and left his great strain of being God. My goodness. Nobody could do that but him. You'd want to leave your strain of being God Leave your strain of being God. Listen to that. And stretched forth his tent and took in humanity and become one of them through unity. That what? That brought peace between God and man forever. How thankful we are. I may like to be remembered today as we pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for such an awesome God. We see why that Satan so hates you. He hates who you are, what you were, what you become, and what you still are to this day. He cannot relate to such a concept. For since his fall, he has wanted to be God and never will be. Oh, he may get humans that'll make him God. He may deceive them, but yet in reality, he will never be the true and the living God. But you were God and loved us so much that you changed your strain from being God. And you come to the earth 
and pitched a tent. Many of us, no doubt, have camped and had little tents. And Lord, the former days when we had large tents and meetings, and it can be quite a, a difficult thing to stretch a tent. But none of us ever went through what you went through. For you stretched your tent. Lord, as I used to take a big tent, 70 feet wide, 190 feet long, stretch it, lay it out, Lord, have side poles, quarter poles, three-quarter poles, big mast poles. It was quite a challenge to get it up without getting somebody hurt. But God, you didn't use side poles or quarter poles. You used ribs, sinew and tissue, brain cells, and eyelids and eyelashes. You stretched your tent among us. And then you pulled us under your tent. Under your hoopah, we were joined together in eternal wedlock. Thank you, Lord God. We love you so much today. Thank you for the opportunity that we can be gathered here together, Father. May you speak to us as only you can do. May you take the bread and may you break it to us as you did to those on the way to Emmaus. And we will do as they did. We will say, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us along the way? Minister to the needs of your people today, Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. Paul must have been so inspired in writing these things. God allowed him to break into a divine understanding. We know that man loves wisdom, sensual wisdom. Man loves knowledge, gnosis. But God loves eos, Epinosis. Man loves science, civilization, education, what he can learn, and what he can be able to boast himself of what he knows. But there is another knowledge that Paul was writing about here that is so different than science, so different than what we learned in school. Now, we're not against learning how to read and write and education and things like that, unless we try to let that be the God of our life. But Paul took upon himself, I believe, by the Spirit of God to write these words. And look with me again, if you would, in verse 20. And he says, ye have not so learned Christ. So the apostle represents the believers as having learned Christ, not having learned about him. And there is a vast difference. The missionary aspect of many, many hundreds and thousands of years actually has been to teach people about Christ, teach them about the cross, 
teach them about redemption. But it's not enough to be taught about it. We must experience it. And Paul believed and felt like from this verse that he said, ye have not so learned Christ. Now we know that the Ephesian church was one of the uh, better trained churches of the New Testament. Paul felt that he could say this with assurance that they had had a real experience with God and they had been taught by Christ himself, which is quite an overwhelming statement. But they had not just learned about him, but they had received and partook of a divine knowledge of him. This does not come from uh, listening to preachers alone. It does not come by reading your Bible, memorizing verses, even going to a Bible school, as well as that is. But yet, many we know can do such and never really learn about Christ because it's more than pronouncing his names. You might know every compound redemptive name of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. You might be able to stand and give us the verses, the passages of Scripture that reverse that to Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Tizkanu. The Lord is our banner. The Lord is our peace. The Lord will make a way. The Lord is our shepherd. You might know all of that and still not necessarily know him that is all of those names and titles. Now, he goes on to say here that ye have not so learned Christ, but in verse 21 he says, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him. Now, I bring this to your attention again from last Sunday that many of the Ephesian believers had been converted from the Greco-Roman. Uh, many of them were Greeks and they were Romans, so they entitled it the Greco-Roman Empire influence, so they were heathens, they were idolaters, they worshiped Diana, they worshiped all kinds of different things, and Ephesus was one of the great major centers of the worship of Diana. So some of the believers here had been former priestess, and they had been worshipers of Diana by which they would have prostitutes, male and female, in the temple of Diana. And there they would participate of such rottenness. And then they would go worship Diana after they had done all this lewd behavior. And some of the saints of God that were now embodied by the Holy Ghost had been partakers of such evil. And this is why Paul could write them and say that some were, such were some of you. Because some of them had been female prostitutes, some male. They had lived such awful, terrible lives, but the grace of God had got a hold of them. You imagine how they must have felt as they walked by the temple of Diana, and they remembered their former life of what they had done, how they had behaved, but they walked past that, and there were hundreds and hundreds and thousands, according to the feast of Diana, that would come and worship, 
and they would walk by that former old life, that old nature, and walk to a little small church where there was maybe a dozen or so that was ordained to eternal life. They, in their mind, would recall and reminisce how they were so deceived in the way of darkness. But now they had moved into a different light, a different knowledge. And if you know much about the religion of Diana, you know that it had quite a hold on many of the people. And they worshiped her for hundreds and hundreds of years, actually, in the Greek Isles and in the Roman temples that were built to her. Uh, they actually, how it could take such a hold is amazing to me when you read about it. But it shows that it was actually demons that was getting a hold of the people. And yet Paul now opens to them something supernaturally that had happened to these believers. And you had to be taught in the way of Diana. You could not just walk into the temple of Diana and understand what to do, how to carry it out. Because it was a religion that had been formed and it kind of progressed as it went. So they had to learn what to do and how to do. And there was a knowledge of the temple of Diana. There was a knowledge of how to worship and what to do. But Paul is now paralleling that knowledge that they had in their former life. I can just imagine some of those saints of God as they walk by and all of a sudden their mind would go back and their memory was so affected by the way they used to be. And it must have been a haunting type of thing as they would remember what they used to do and the way they were, but now they had been made free. Then they were worshiping demon through demons, of course, this idol worship of a meteor which had fallen out of heaven. Those of you that have seen the imagery of Diana, and you know, some of the artisans would give her a face, some would give her feminine features, others more true to form would make it out of stone or metal or wood, and it would be almost a shapeless type of form that had feminine resemblance. The arms would be bars of iron. And it was a symbol of the power of the worship of Diana under demonology that would wrap itself around the people. Now to us it seems strange that people would do such today, but I dare say most of us was in bad shape if not worse. We didn't worship Diana, but we worship NASCAR. We worship basketball stars and alcohol and cigarettes and it was still demonology. But today we sit here by the presence of God and we have been illuminated by his presence to understand the truths, the way and the life. Paul as he draw the contrast between what they were prior to this and what they had become. And he said, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him. Here, of course, contrasting that no one but the priest and priestess could hear from the goddess Diana. 
they would convulse, they would get so caught up and they would sit in certain spots on the earth. I didn't mean to go this way, but I'm gonna follow it while I'm here. There were certain spots on the earth by which many of these people would receive this religious energy. And while they would get there under this forms of not only Diana, but many of the other religions as well, certain spots of the earth by which there would be certain energies that would be come out of the earth. Those of you that are familiar with Sedona, Arizona, you know that many of the type of earth type people go there to this day. They take their rocks with them. And there they allow their rocks to become energized while they are there and they, you know, sit there and say all these chants and this and that and the other. I kind of think they're on something myself. But anyway, they, they go there and they feel energized and they put their rocks back in their suitcase and they go back and let people touch the rocks. Aren't you glad you're free from such nonsense? Now I'm talking about 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about people that do it to this very day. But you see, there's something in man that longs for the supernatural. So Satan goes into that supernatural thirst inside of man's soul, and then he will concoct something according to the age and the culture and the people. And we know he's done it down through time. Some of the religions of Babylon and the Assyrians would never be accepted in the day that we are living. To be a worshiper of Diana, and it may surprise you to know that there are still worshipers of Diana to this very day of those who will go to the temples of where they worshiped her before. And there they say they can feel that energy. Well, I don't mind telling you that I'm not uh, concerned about Diana, but I am very glad that we can come to a place as we were together here Wednesday night and the presence of God come down in such a supernatural way and heal people and restored backsliders and done all kinds of things, but it was not the energy of Diana. It was the energy of the great I am. But we know that in order to be quickened to that life, that we must have his life in order to help us to see it or we never will. We could really read his book. We could give ourselves in such an intense way to read his book, the Bible. We can apply ourselves even to prayer and meditation. We could give ourselves to singing psalms and hymns and all of that and still miss him by a million miles. But we also know that in order to be a part of him, we must have had been relation to him before we ever become relation to humanity. Notice this in verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Now the word old here is the Greek word paleos, which means old in the sense of being worn out decrepit or useless. The expression old man therefore re refers back to the old nature or the unsaved person. Now apparently there's still some of the Ephesian believers that were still working on the transition 
of the new birth from the soul uh, and, and allowing that new birth to move on their outside. Now, I hope you understand this, that I found this in history that uh, all of the different heathen of religions, religions of the people would have different vestments or garments by which they would wear. And they would have certain festivals and things. Uh, the Celts and the different ones still to this day do the same thing. So whenever they have the birth of the sun, the spring equinox, and they will uh, get their different costumes and so on, and they'll have their certain songs. And they will worship in these vestments. So in the New Testament, these people, as they would worship Diana, as they would worship these different gods and goddesses, they would put on certain outfits. And they would dress up a certain way and they would take statues of Diana. Years were talking about her and they would have them to lead them through the square and they would come up to the great temple and they would all dress in this certain way. So what you worshiped had its identification on what you wore. Now I know people in the day we're living think clothes don't have nothing to do with you, but clothes have always had something to do with you. You see, since man fell in the Garden of Eden, clothes had something to do with whether he was redeemed or not redeemed. Now, God never asked him what kind of toothpaste that he used. He never asked him if he had a hamburger for lunch or a hot dog, but God was asking him about the condition of his soul who told you that you were naked. So he had come to a recognition of a knowledge, but it was a gnosis. It was a knowledge more by science. It was a painful knowledge, a painful understanding that he was naked. But God works on the other hand. Now in the English, we will use the exact same words of whether it is knowledge or wisdom. And it, to us, it means the same thing. But to God, it is millions and millions of miles apart. And people think the smarter they get in their head, the more they can understand about God. Most of the time, the smarter they get in their head, the farther it takes them from God because Satan chooses this type of knowledge. So he educates people. And this is, the, my, this is the thing that we have to worry about and be concerned about in the message of the hour as time goes on, that our children, that our grandchildren, if we're not careful, they will become educated in the way of the message. They will accept the clothes. They will accept the quotes. They will accept the behavior. They will accept the look. And all they are is mainly just more Mennonites or Amish or whatever more and they grow, they grow up in that way but it's not an experience in their soul what does it do then Satan actually exalts the knowledge of the revelation above the revelation itself so people saying, well, Brother Donnie preaches it, it makes sense to me, Brother Darrell, Brother West, whenever we have the youth meetings, it makes a lot of sense to me, but that's not what God wants it to be to you. God don't want it to make sense. God wants it to be a revelation in your soul. That no matter what anybody does, your closest friend turns away, it'll certainly break your heart, but you're not following them, you're following Christ Jesus. 
So Paul shows them that once they come to this something that happens in their soul, that they must also put off this paleos, which was the behavior, the commonality, or the blending together of the soul and the body. For some people, this can happen pretty quick. For others, it takes a while. It takes a while for the effect of the new birth and the soul to be able to reflect itself out and cause a purging in their spirit, in their body, to where that they're acting the soul behavior. They're talking the soul behavior. They're reflecting the soul behavior. And apparently there were some in the Ephesian church that were having a hard time. So they had been a new creation in the soul, but there must be a conformity to the divine nature. Now, it doesn't mean that because a person is still struggling with something on the outside, whether it's a doctrinal issue or a besetting sin, it does not mean that something is not wonderful and tremendous happened inside the soul. But maybe they've not yet entered into the completion of that conformity to where that they are actually putting off the former man. He's dead on the inside. He's done passed away. But they've not put him off as far as action, behavior, thinking, and and so on. So they're still learning. I'm still learning. They're still learning. And as they do, the more they learn about the Lord and his word and their position and that transition of what they are, the more they will take on that new man and the new man will live out of them. That it's not a life that they're having to memorize. And it's not something that, well, I've got to make myself do it. I don't want to do it. No, it's not that. It's simply bringing the two outer courts in subjection to the glory that's in the third court. You see, when the soul it becomes converted just like it was in the temple in the Old Testament, the tabernacle in the wilderness being the first shadow of that which Moses made according to the pattern which he saw in heaven. So God carried him up by vision and allowed Moses to see that in the temple of heaven there were three realms. So when he built it upon the earth, he built a little small building of a thing out of skins and, and all of that and he divided into three realms, the outer court and the holy place and the most holy. All of those were leading and pointing to the one thing, which where the Shekinah was, the presence of God. And we know that God was making this according to the image of what he had made man out of, because man has the same thing. So man has the outer court, which is our see, taste, feel, smell, and hear. Man has the inner court, imagination, conscience, memory, reason, and affection. Then man has the holy of holies. That is the guarded place. That is the place of the soul. When the soul is of the world and of the worldly nature, the old man, then after, you know, when we were first born into sin, we didn't know how to sin. We didn't know how to lie. We did not know how to do those things. But little by little, our body, our conversation, our thoughts begin to match up with our fallen nature, which was in our soul. Maybe some of you were 10 years old before you told your first lie, or 12 years old. Who knows exactly how old you were? Before you sneaked around and smoked your first cigarette, you might have been 15, 18, 17. But all of a sudden, something on the outside of you began to confirm form to the nature you were born with on the inside. And it didn't happen all of a sudden. I don't reckon all y'all come out of your mother's womb spitting ambeer, did you? Did y'all come out chewing a big water tobacco and a pack of pamels in your pocket and a fifth of whiskey in your billfold? I don't reckon you learned how to do it. Is that right? 
So what was happening? Your body was conforming to the nature that you were born in. And you begin to develop certain worldly tastes. That's why some of you like motorcycles and some of you wouldn't give $10 for a truck and track and trailer load full of motorcycles. Because it was your nature and your makeup that Satan began to develop inside of you. Well, look at it in the spiritual sense that once we are born again and the soul has received the image of God, then the spirit and the body both must be conformed to that same image. I hope you understand that we are still learning by the grace of God to talk like our heavenly land. You see, we take on the image and we become conformed not only to the nature of the soul, but also the land that we live in. Now, I've been been privileged by the grace of God to travel in many, many different countries of Africa and to go to India and to China and to New Zealand and Australia and all many of these different places around the world. And to get there and you see sin there, you see sinners, but they sin Australian style if they're in Australia. They sin New Zealand style. Or in Africa and Tanzania, they sin Tanzanian style. And you know, it's so different to see how sin can be, but sin will merge with the culture and the appetite of the people there. Well, you know, when I, I came here years ago from Kentucky, the sin and the things that was here around Johnson City, it was different than what I was used to down in Kentucky. Probably some of you that's come from Ohio and from larger cities, cities and you say, this ain't nothing, Brother Donnie, compared to where I'm from. Well, I'm glad you're from there and not me. Amen. Because I don't, if it's any worse than here, I, I don't want to be there myself. But you see what Satan does is he will modify the sin according to the appetites and the nature and the culture of the people. And it will go that way and then people say move to a certain area and they're not used to the sin of that area even though they are sinners and it may take them a little while to conform into the imagery of the sin of that area. Uh, you know many college kids and they come here because of ETSU, all these other universities that are around. Maybe they come from a little hick town out in the middle of nowhere and they, you know, they did their sin. They done this and that and the other. But when they come here, it's totally different because you've got kids from everywhere and the way they do and the, how they get high and whatever more. And it will take them kids a while to be able to develop and learn how. You know, you look at it in the other contrast of that in the spiritual sense, that being born again by the Spirit of God, but it does not mean that our body and our outside temperament of our nature is thrown into that, neither were the Ephesians. But Paul was saying, you need to lay aside this old man. And notice in verse 24, he said that ye put on the new man. Now remember this new man in the image of the soul is something that only God can do. Colossians 3.10 tells us that it is made, created in the image of God. Since it is created, I cannot do anything about that. But what I can do is put on the nature from the soul to the man on the outside. So my body, my nature, my human spirit, all of that, the soul wants to do one thing, and yet the flesh will say, so-and-so said something about you, get back at them. So-and-so did this, hold a grudge, don't forgive them. Boy, when you get around them, let everybody know that you're avoiding them. That's not the way of a Christian. 
Well, I'll tell you one thing, they treated me bad, I'm gonna treat them bad. Hallelujah, glory to God. Don't you glory to God, that old serpent thing. That's not the nature of the Holy Ghost. And yet some of the Ephesians were having a hard time, as I mentioned to you the other day, speaking about this, that they they really understood predestination, election, but some of the brothers were having a hard time knowing how to love their wives. And apparently some of the women were having a hard time in learning how to be subject to their husbands. And then in chapter six, of course, the, the fathers were provoking the children, so they was having family issues, even though they understood predestination, election, and so on, so they were having a hard time bringing the new birth in their home and bringing it to the outside body. I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. Now they understood predestination and they thanked God for it and they believed it and they must have rallied around it, but they were having other issues. Well, isn't that just like people? You know, no matter where it's the Corinthian church or the church of Thessalonica or the church of Thyatira or Sardis, I'd like to preach that to you sometime. I've got a, a series that I've studied out years ago. And I went through and took every church that I could find historically and from the scripture and take the traits and the characteristics of that church and show you that in in and around our message, them same churches still exist. And there's actually individuals in our church that will match every church age. And you'll find them great parallels and when you come together to know that how we have to fight that thing and push it away. But yet Paul is trying to teach them the thing they must do is put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and in holiness. So opposed to the old man, they have to put off. Well, how in the world could they do it? Because the divine nature of God had come in them and kill the soul part of that old man. Now listen carefully. So there was a soul part of the old man and there was a human part of the old man and when the soul part died, it did not kill the human part because the human part thought this way for years. It behaved this way for years. Now God did his part from the soul and God leaves our part from the two outer courts. Amen. Now God will do his part, but God will not do our part. Now Paul is not telling them to surrender so God can put the old man off on the outside, but he's telling them to do it. Now if you're expecting Jesus to put out your cigarette and you're expecting Jesus to empty out your skull can and you're expecting Jesus to get in your refrigerator and get your beer and pour it down the drain or get your oxycotton or codone or whichever one you take and you're expecting Jesus or the angels to come empty it out, you'll be high for a long time. I'll tell you that right now. But he will give you the strength and the courage from the power that lives in the inner man to lead you to the refrigerator and you'll pop them lids and pour them down the drain and say, oh my, Spot gets this one. Y'all know what Spot is, right? You don't know what Spot is. Okay, well, this certain preacher friend of mine, whenever people will bring him things that um, maybe are not just exactly to his taste to eat, and he will take a bite of those certain things, and if he does not like it, he named his garbage disposal, you guessed it, Spot. So then they ask, how did you like this and this? How did you like, oh my, he said, it hit the spot. 
It hit the spot. Well, them in their ignorance, of course, and I'll not mention his name because I don't want to give away his secret. But anyway, they're thinking, oh, praise God, I'll bring you another on Sunday. And guess what? Spot gets hit too. But you see, we, by the Spirit of God living inside of us, and you've seen people as well as I have, that have been so addicted to alcohol and drugs and this and that and the other, but God will empower them to help them to lay it aside. You believe that? Well, let me just share a testimony. One of the brothers that come here to the church, when he was coming here, when he first come, he was smoking marijuana, he was taking pills, he was drinking alcohol, he was doing tobacco, he was doing I don't know how many different pills in, in the day. He come here after the very first service, Almighty God come down, touched him, sitting right, right up close to where the anointing was, took the appetite, the desire of every bit of it, totally gone, never picked up another again and is still free to this day. Now the Spirit of God come in and help liberate that brother. For other people, they may have more of a personal battle with those things. Well, you say, why does God do that to this one, that, and the other? I do not understand that, but I trust him, don't you? So they have to battle it, and they have to fight it, and they have to put it off. And apparently this is what was going on. I love the word that Paul uses here. Opposed to the old man, which is put off, the Greek word here is kainon, K-A-I-N-O-N, and it's different from the word renewed in Ephesians 4.23. So it's not putting on merely a, a renovated nature, but it's actually a new nature. So the principle of the soul is created only by Almighty God. We cannot do it ourselves. Notice this in Colossians 3.9. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now I want you to notice the church at Colossae. Now the church at Colossae was another, I'd call it number two church as far as really depth and revelation. They had a lot of understanding. But they, they were so deep as far as predestination that many understanding about the Godhead. But yet here they were, some of them believers were lying to one another. Now, I know there ain't nobody here that does any such thing, but there's some pretty sorry outfits to stream our services, so you little angels just bear with me a few minutes while I deal with their rotten souls. So here they were. Now, notice how Paul states this, that he does not say that you all are not born again. You sorry bunch of serpent seed, you're devils. No, but listen, he said, lie not to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So here, he's giving them a warning, Brother Lloyd, don't do it. There must have been a tendency among at least some of them that they were still lying or telling things that was not the truth. Amen, Brother Donnie. Preach it, Brother Donnie. I'm with you, Brother Donnie. Now, he says, lie not to one another, seeing that ye have put off the old man. Now, this is not what God did. God already did this by creation, but it was their responsibility to put off the learned behavior, the traits they had picked up by the old nature. And then they start coming into Christ. Don't you understand why that some of the women in the book of Corinthians, they wanted to preach? Some of those women had been former priestess in the idolatry that they came out of. So here they were, some of them women that got saved and that got the Holy Ghost and now they want to get up behind the pulpit and preach the message. Well, glory to God. My, my, well, Paul said, I don't suffer a woman to teach nor to assert authority over the man. Well, come on, sisters. 
Is that right? Why, why would they do that? Because under the old man, the old nature, they had been priestess in the temple of Diana. They had been priestess in these different things. Uh, don't get mad at me now, but no doubt some of them, some of them women had that strong nature to begin with. And they had that nature, and once they had that nature, they, they must have excelled in the temple of Diana. But you know what? They realized that Paul was not preaching the message of Diana. It was a bride message, not a Diana message. So they wanted to get up in the pulpit and teach. And then, of course, they wanted to go home and teach their husbands about the word. And Paul really had to tear them up. I mean, he had to just really tear them up and help them women to realize that was the old man. That does not work in the new message. You understand? Now, here they were. They had the new birth, and many of them really loved the Lord Jesus with all their heart. But they had not yet put off that old thing. So some of them women sat there, glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Paul, hallelujah. Boy, they'd get up and get out testify. Well, glory to God, I'll tell you one thing. <laughs> hallelujah to God. <laughs> you imagine how red-faced they must have gotten when they read 1 Corinthians? Thank God for men of God that'll tell the truth. It must have been humiliating an embarrassment whenever they realized they were allowing the nature and the attributes of the old man to dictate the way they worshiped. Oh my goodness. This is why some of you feel so down and so low and so forgotten because you're letting the old man dictate to you when you're close to God and when you ain't according to how much you feel. It's still the old man. It's still the old man that's trying, well, how long has it been since you felt God? Why, well, you've not cried in ever so long. My, it's been months and months since you danced, since you done this or that. If you're no longer close to God, you're letting the behavior of the old man dictate to you whether or not you're where you need to be with God or not. Well, praise the Lord. Notice this, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Now the old man, of course, from the nature is what acts out on the outside with the deeds. So here they were, they had now, many of these believers had walked around in the vestments of Diana or of the Roman God, gentle mind. They had many of them. Uh, depending on which one they would worship, they would actually take on this vestment or this costume that let them know what church they belonged to and let them know. We'll say it that way. Let them know what God they worship. So yeah, Paul said, you put off the old man. Now this is something that the New Testament Christians would do. They would lay aside the garments of Diana. They would lay aside the garments of the God of war of Rome and they'd lay aside all of these garments and what the New Testament saints would do, they would put on a white robe. Now this is what history says. They would actually put on a white robe. And whenever they put on a white robe, it would let the people know that they had changed their understanding. Amen. They had now changed where they worshiped. Because you see, the clothes you wore identified which church, if you wish to call it that, which church you went to. 
So, you know, if you wore a miniskirt, they knew you, you was allowed to go to this certain, certain church, but you certainly wouldn't be allowed to go to this other certain, certain church because they'd preach on you if you did. Well, if you was a woman and you wore this or a man and you wore that, they could tell by looking at you where you went to church <laughs> and what you worshiped. And if you were a Diana worshiper, then you would dress seductive and you would have dressed, you know, really, really sexually provocative in order, why? Because that's where you went, oh my goodness. Some of y'all was embarrassed even with your mask on. (laughs) You see, it was an identification of where you went to church by the way you dressed. Now, Paul is taking this and saying, now you all have been born again, but what you've got to do is you've got to change clothes on the outside. You've got to put off the old man. So some of them were still coming to church and they were still dressing like the worship of Diana or they were worshiping like, uh, you know, Romulus and Remus of Rome and they were dressing like this and that and they said, oh no, that won't work. Whenever you come among us, you've got to not only say I'm a new person on the inside, but it will reflect itself by the way you act and dress on the outside. Praise the Lord. So here some of them were still struggling with that thing. Now watch, here he says that you have put on, in verse 10, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now I want you to notice a channel by which God uses to renew you in that image. It is a channel of knowledge, but it's not knowledge by Bible school. It's not knowledge by just sitting and hearing a, a, a preacher preach a sermon over and over again. Now, every service, friend, when we come together, you are going to receive an element of knowledge. You are going to receive an element. I, I will repeat myself as any man does. I will repeat myself, and as I do, that will become more stored knowledge to you. But if that's all you've got, oh my, I feel sorry for you. Because it will take more than hearing it repeated over and over and over again. In order to be conformed to the image of the soul, a person must pull through the spirit of their mind and we know that there are two wombs. And that is the womb, of course, the mind, and the womb being the soul. And through that, it comes down to the channel of the mind. You hear the word, it conceives, and then the progeny of that comes down and forms the person in the soul, the new creature or the new being. Then you take that child, as it were, and that child will grow. Well, you certainly could not be able to put the image of a child on the outside, so you grow and you mature. As you feed on the Word, you become more into the image of the Word. As you're feeding, you're learning more of who you are, who your enemy is, who Christ is. Then as you're feeding, the man on the inside is growing, getting stronger and stronger, renewed day by day by day. Then as that image begins to come to a state of maturity, you want to take that image and let that image be reflected on the outside outside of who you are. So you add your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, so on and so on. You understand? What's this? And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, what you notice is the Greek word there is neon. You know, the color neon orange, neon green. Well, actually the Greek word there, neon, is N-E-O-N. And it means the recently put on nature. The recently put on 
nature. So man by regeneration is restored back to the original image of God. Now when Adam fell, Adam still had the same imagery as far as looking like the man Christ. Let me say it this way, the man Christ that God condescended the word for. So man still looked like that. He had eyes, he had ears, he had hands, but yet the attributes of the Godhead had left him. Now listen, the attributes of the Godhead, I hope you don't think I'm crazy, but actually God gave to man, not just one man, but man, the shared attributes of his Godhead. Thank you, Jesus. That's why it's so important in the last day that the image of the Godhead, the fullness of that will be returned in the last day. So it's not just a knowledge of, well, is there one, is there two, is there three, or the four? It's who the person of God really is. Now, when man fell away from that spiritual image, his hands looked the same, his eyes looked the same, his hair looked the same. For several years, no doubt, he didn't start aging. And then he started getting wrinkles under his eyes and his hair turning gray. And his skin drawed up on him, you know, everywhere like, like old age does. But the thing that God had put in him had now left him. And what the new birth actually does is restored that fallen image of God. This is why we'll never overcome without it, friends. Our children can never be the right type of Christians until that birth has happened inside of their soul. Notice in God's image, which Adam was originally created in, left him, the holy image of God left him, and then God, by the new birth, recreates that inside of us, had put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge. Now look at this Greek word here, what it is, epinosis, precise and correct knowledge, used of the knowledge of things ethical and divine. So there is a channel by which we are restored to the image of God, and that is through epinosis. So it is renewed that the man grows. You say, well, I come to church and I come, well, why do I need to go on? Because you need to grow. Well, what if you had a, we had a child here in the church today, and that baby was 47 years old and still that tall. Still sucking a bottle, still wearing diapers and sucking a pacifier. Would you look at that child and say, he's perfectly normal. You are perfectly nuts. <laughs> Why, you'd be worried to death. You would be worried to death if that child was that big and five years old, much less 47 years old. You'd look at that child and say, something's wrong with our baby. Let us go to this doctor. Let's go to that specialist. Let's do every scan we can to find out what's wrong with our child. Why? Because we know there's something wrong with our child. Then God wants us to grow. We don't just come and be a Christian and sit there for 40 or 50 years and never grow, never progress, never advance in the gospel, never advance in our walk with God. Oh, if you're the same as you were five years ago, I feel sorry for you because you've missed five years of spiritual growth. You've missed five years of, of epinosis of God, of coming into, oh, Brother Donnie, I'm so busy. Sounds like you are too busy. Oh my, notice this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, that Paul says, for which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Listen to this, for which cause we faint not. Oh, I love this word. Faint means be weary to be utterly spiritless. Sounds like the COVID time, don't it? To be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out or exhausted. For which cause he said, we are not this. 
We faint not. We are not spiritless. We are not wearied out. But though our outward man perish, my, my, destroy, corrupt, change for the worse, to consume a bodily vigor and strength. Listen to what you are now. Used of the worm or moss that eats provisions. Ah, the worm or the moss that eats provisions. How many knows what a moss is? Y'all ever have them in your clothes? Carol was picking out, or I picked out, I think it was, picked out a suit for me to wear to the funeral, Brother Randy's this week. And I took it into the laundry room for her. And whenever I hung it up there where she hangs her clothes, I looked on the back right in here, about right there in the shoulder. And I looked and it was a dark blue suit and I saw a white spot. I thought, what is that? So I took my finger down and looked at it, but it wouldn't rub out. It was a hole. Now that hole, that suit had an element of wool. Now moths do not like polyester. They do not like rayon. But they do need an element of wool. Now that wool, that, that suit had a certain element of wool content. So they like to get in there in your clothes, you sisters that have wool skirts and your brothers that have wool suits, and they will get inside of there and they will eat and they will lay their eggs. And then when their eggs are born, they enjoy your suit too. Now it was a, it was a nice suit. My, it was a, it was a nice suit. I bought a thing down in South Carolina. Lord of mercy, I must have paid one hundred nineteen dollars for that thing. Whew. Awful. But Carol said it's ruined. I thought, isn't that something? One little moss getting inside of that. And, and eating that hole and it was gone. What become of that material? It was in his belly. Well, then the very next day I was in the bathroom and I was shaving and I saw something fly over my head. And I looked and there it was, guess what? I'm off. Bad day to fly over my head. I've still got an attitude over that suit. <laughs> So he landed on the mirror, and when I looked up there, I thought, oh my goodness, it's a moth. So I went and got a piece of tissue paper, you know, and got him and <clears throat> baptized him. <laughs> I wonder how many times that we have moths in our experience. Now it can be so small, it's not trying to be mean, it's not trying to be destructive, it's just the way it relates. They will watch your garage door. Now you think they're dumb if you want to, but they'll watch your garage door. And when you raise your garage door, you ever notice how they fly in? That's why I try to kill them little rascals when they come in. But they'll come in and once they get in your house, they will go from one closet to another to another. That's the way sin can do in our experience and our walk with God. Now here you've got a perfectly good suit. The sleeves were good. The front was good. The lapel was good. The pants was good. All of that was good. But yet one little moss got inside of there and ate. Why? Because it was carrying out what it was supposed to do. What sin supposed to do to a believer? Steal your joy. Oh, my friend, you know as well as I do that some of the little things that hang on in our lives, it's not that we're standing up and we don't even have a sleeve 
in our suit. We don't even have one pant leg in our suit, but it's one little bitty tiny hole. And that one little tiny hole will steal your joy. Boy, I wish somebody would preach with me this morning. That one little tiny hole will steal your peace and your satisfaction in Jesus Christ. But may I take you, I'm unable. Carol was a great seamstress, but yet Carol was unable to take that there, to be able to do something with it and stitch it up. There's no way to repair it. But may I lead you this morning to a place in Christ Jesus where he can be able to take the holes that the malls of sin have tried to eat in your life. And maybe it's not drinking or running around, but maybe it's sadness and oppression. That's still wrong. God don't want his children to be beat down. God don't want his children to be all down and out and down in the dumps all the time. But he said we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory. I'll tell you one thing. I feel like we have been bombarded, my, my, with a whole, whole host of COVID moths, don't you? They've tried to get in our closet and steal our church services. They've tried to knock us out of coming together. They've tried to knock us out of prayer. They've tried to knock us out of all kinds of things. But I think it's time we get out the fumigator and go to spraying the word. Get out of here, you moths of unbelief. You moths of coldness. You moths of, well, I don't need this. I don't need that. And let's drive them out of our lives. And let's go to the tailor, the Lord Jesus, and say, Lord, I don't want to throw my experience away, but I want you to patch me. I want you to fix me. I want you to make me a new Lord. Hallelujah. Paul says, for which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish. How many knows you're perishing right here this morning? You've already lost an hour and a half, two hours of your life. It's gone. You'll never retrieve it. But I love the way he says this. Yet the inward man is renewed once a month from youth camp to youth camp, from Easter to Easter, day by day. How are you going to be renewed day by day if you don't have church every day? And that's the only way you figure you can be renewed. Church is wonderful. Thank God for church. But you can be renewed at home if you learn the plan of renewal. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day, continually. The hidden man of the heart, the new man, oh glory, the new man is in a prosperous, healthy, wholesome condition. Notice this in 3 John 1, 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health. Oh man, we love them prosperity scriptures. But this one is based upon soul prosperity too. I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul. Look at this word for prosperous. Have a prosperous journey to lead by a direct and easy way to grant a successful issue to be successful. 
man, for us to be successful in this world and money and this, boy, we think it's something. I desire to be successful in the soul. How many wants to be successful in the soul? So what does that mean? Well, what does it mean when your business is successful? That means you didn't have to file for banks or bankruptcy in COVID-19. Pennies is shutting more stores. Why? COVID-19. Godiva chocolates closing all 126 stores. <laughs> Christopher and Banks, J.C. Penny, all kinds. Why? They did not survive COVID. We could add some human names to that as well. Some folks have not survived COVID. Oh my, their soul has pulled back in sin and they've picked up this and that and the other. But I'm speaking about my own soul. I've got a wholesome soul. I've got a happy soul. I've got a prosperous soul. As a matter of fact, I've grown during COVID. Oh, Brother Donnie, I've regressed. I went back. I hate to hear that. I really do. But I've got closer during COVID. I'm more determined during COVID. I have a greater vision that we are closer to the end time. Oh, but Brother Donnie, the election got me down. Well, it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to either, but I say whoever we need in there, bring it on. Bring it on so we can get out of this place. Why? Because my soul is prospering and the last stage of my prosperity will be when my soul forces my body to change. Can I have a few more minutes? Oh, it seems our time together is so short. Ephesians 1.18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, I'm telling you, I need help with this. The way I'm looking at me and the way I look at you all sometimes and I think, we're the Lord's inheritance, he'll be going to the poorhouse. I need help. And I'm gonna go ahead and say for the rest of you all, I figure most of you all need it too. Because I don't look at myself, Brother Darrell, as me being much of an inheritance for God. But actually, this is the way he sums up his wealth. So people would count houses, cars, lands, you know how many converters they pick up and you know how much they've got this and that and the other. And that's the way they measure the wealth. Well, name all of your wealth and list it all. Boy, they go down through there and list it all. And this is the way God lists his. He don't list asteroids. He does not list meteorites. He does not list the billions of stars, which he knows every one of them by name. But in city rights, Donnie, Dal, Chat, Carol, Barbara, Larry, Tanya, God lists his assets. And the demons was <laughs> You gotta be kidding. He considers Daryl Ward an asset. He considers Donnie Reagan. An asset, Philip Martin, you've got to be kidding. But God says, this is the way my wealth is measured. 
This is my greatness. This is my inheritance. Glory to God. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a truth that we need to be so enlightened to that God looks at us and says, I am a wealthy God. I am so wealthy. <laughs> and we say in stars and cold and, 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 and trees and plants. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not my wealth. My wealth is Jimmy. Skip. J.D. I have bestowed decades of treasures of grace in their lives. I've forgiven them time and time again. I love them before the world ever began. I have given them generations of grace and mercy and light and truth. They are my riches. God could say, I am so rich. Help me, Lord. Come on, can any of y'all be honest and say you look at yourself probably like I have? I've considered myself, for the most part, a deficit. You know, now people are trying to avoid bankruptcy, a change, trying to avoid bankruptcy, and they look at this, can we cut that out? Can we cut this out? Can we cut that out? Well, this is not making money. This is not doing this. Let's just drop this. Let's drop that. I feel like me looking at me, I'll be the first one dropped. Don't worry, y'all be right behind me. Because I am your pastor. I do know you pretty well. So you're sitting there all puffed up like you're glistening gold. It's fool's gold, friend. So what does a man's wealth do? Look, look at some of the, the, the greatest, richest people, the, the man of Amazon and Elon Musk and, you know, all these billionaires of the, you know, we, we can't even think such a way. And, oh, boy, they drive these cars and spend this much on a yacht and this and that. And what do they do? They're flaunting their wealth and they're showing what their wealth, by, what they're worth by what they own. Oh, my, yeah, this, this yacht here was made for so-and-so and this one here was made for so-and-so. I paid $3.5 million for this yacht. I mean, that's just like a summer boat, you know. And they, they, they live in a $185 million house and they got gold faucets and this and that and the other and they'll take none of them with them when they roll them up in the gasket. And they've got all this, but what they do, they flaunt their wealth. Oh, God. They flaunt their wealth. He's worth so much. Now he's the wealthiest man on all the earth. God says, <laughs> you're so poor. Look at my wealth. I figure he's got a bunch of it gathered together here this morning. Riches and treasures and deposits of mercy. A lot of folks passed by and said, there's the old skirt church. <laughs> Crazy bunch of people. Bunch of Branhamites. They laugh at us. They ridicule. They make fun. God said, you just don't see their value. You just don't see their value. You know how that is. One person look at something and said, oh, I wouldn't have that thing. Oh, my goodness. And the man comes in and looks at him and says, 
Ah. Ain't that a Louis the 14th? I saw a Louis the 7th bedroom suit on eBay this week. A hundred and sixty-five thousand. Y'all want to go in havers? What's Brother Daryl? For a bedroom suit? God looked at you and said, I would do this for one. I believe if I was the only redeemable attribute on the earth, he would have went through Calvary, he would have went through death and hell and all that he suffered for me. But look at the other nuggets that are my brothers and sisters. Just as a man's wealth brings him glory, so does God's attributes of his children bring him wealth because of what he's invested in us. Many of you have studied the gold strikes and you know whenever a piece of gold was found in the Black Hills of the Dakotas, a government had decreed that the Indians could have that for a holy place, a sacred place. Until a man passing down through a little creek of water found a piece of gold and the bottom of it. There went the treaty. There went the government's word to the Lakota. Now they no longer care and people are selling everything they've got for the gold rush. In 49, when it hit in California, they sold everything they had. Most of them never got rich. Some did. But the way God looked at it, he said, I feel it's worth the investment. So what did they do? They might have sold a fine home in St. Louis and bought a mule or a wagon or a tent. And they went and set up in the gold fields. The Almighty God left the praise of angels, cherubims, seraphims. And when he was born, a donkey was standing over here and a sheep over here and a cow over here and the donkey braid over Jehovah. When Jehovah spread his tent in the gold fields. Glory to God. How precious it must be to him when he gathers a little nugget from the valley of humanity as he did our precious brother Randy just this past week. Can you imagine the excitement in the heart of Almighty God as the rapture and the resurrection sets together and he will start gathering these treasures. Praise be to God. Don't you want to be there? Let me read you another verse here and then we'll close. Ephesians 1, 5, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. 2 Thessalonians 1, 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired 
in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Colossians 1.27, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. John tells the believers in that day that they have been reconciled to the Father and they have the Spirit of God in them. And one of the identifications was, he said, because you believe that he has come or he is here, (laughs) which is his presence. You see, the apostolic believers believed in the incarnation coming and the presence coming. John could address it as if though the believers had already experienced a coming of Christ because they had. The incarnate coming redeemed them. The living coming had now went in them. So the incarnation made a way through kenosis for him to step inside their bodies. So friends, Brother Donnie, what are you talking about the wealth? The wealth you have is Christ in you. It's not your works. It's not your goodness. It's not how many times you read your Bible. Your wealth is what's deposited in you. What makes Fort Knox, Kentucky such a tremendous place on the map? Certainly not the biggest fort in all the military. What makes it such a great astounding place? It's where for years and years they've kept much of the gold of the United States of America. So you take a little spot out in the woods, out in the middle of nowhere, which you couldn't get within rock-throwing distance of it because it's so heavily guarded. Why? It's what it holds. Think of it. And right here today, every human soul that has the Holy Ghost contains more than a million Fort Knoxes together. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Learn, friends, to allow him to live this life out of you. Lie not one to another. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, obey your husbands. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. Children, obey your parents. What's that doing? That's allowing the old man's deeds to be put off and the gold of the new man to permeate you. On the outside. You see, the Shekinah was on the inside in the third realm. But every now and then, on great occasions, God would allow the visible pillar of fire to touch down or set near the tabernacle in the wilderness. So what was on the inside was showing itself on the outside. And they knew he was still there. Oh, don't you want him to set down on you? I don't want him just to seal me. But I want him to let his glory so 
permeate in my body and in my spirit. Praise God. Brother Tony, what do you want out of life? You want to be rich? No. You want to be famous? Too old for that. What what would be your greatest desire? To be like Jesus. Let people, when they see me and hear me, let them know he's alive. As a visitor from Johnson City, a business person came here a couple years ago, which was of the Islamic faith. Sat here on Sunday morning, first Christian service they'd ever been in. So they were confused by the music, confused by, you know, the way we do things. But by the end of the service, the individual said, I don't know too much about what that preacher said, but I sure would like to know that Jesus the way he does. Not the way he claims, but the way he does. You see, we don't want to just claim it. I want to know him. I want to learn him, not of him. Don't you? Can we bow our heads together? Oh, Lord Jesus. Once again, you have so graced us with heavenly treasures and riches. Father, we know that there have been secret clans and cults and things down through the ages. And even one of the words that is used in the New Testament, mysterion, to describe mysteries, the Greek word made something that is only made known to the initiated. So, if there would be certain people here today that would belong to a certain lodge, Masonic lodge, or this or that or the other, and they would have certain signs and certain terms that they would use, and they could say it right in front of the rest of us, and we wouldn't have a clue what they were talking about. An Egyptian person could speak to another in Egyptian, and we wouldn't have a clue what they were saying. So is the gospel. Father God, we desire that we can drink of your cup and lean against your breast. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to just know you as my Savior, that you saved me from hell. But I want to sup with you. You gave us the invitation in the book of Revelation of him that will come and partake of me. I will sup with him. And he was me. And we know that word is an abbreviated form of have supper with you. Lord God, what an honor it would be for any of us to have Brother Tim Pruitt, Brother Ron Spencer, great servants of God to come and have supper with us. But Lord God, what a great honor that you want to have supper with us. And we don't have to wait and turn that we get it once and then we have to wait 20 years to get our turn again. You're so awesome and so mighty. You can have supper with every one of us every day of the week, every week of the year, every month. We can sup together. I thank you for this deposit of gold that's in me today, Lord Jesus. 
Let me lean back against your chest. Let me hear your heart beat as it were. For I know in reality, your bride is the cause of that heartbeat. Since you never had a heart, humanly speaking, until the purpose of God was manifested, so you became the very heart of God. Forgive us of our carnality, Lord. Forgive us of the ways of the old man. May we put off the old and put on the new. Lord Jesus, may they not stand here today and say, well, that's only for the preacher. That's well and good for this one and that one. No, may they put off the old man's thinking that's trying to tell them that even right now while I'm praying for them. May they resent that. And may they say, no, that's for me. I'm a woman, but it's still for me. I'm a teenager, but it's still for me. I was lost. I was a drunk. A brother sent me a quote this week where Brother Branham had said that he was a sinner and you had saved him. That you changed him from being a cusser, saying cuss words, to being a preacher. Praise God. One time, one man lived in his soul and he said one language. But another man come and he talked seven seals, seven thunders, the breach. Same with us, Lord. We belonged in that family too. But another man come inside of us. Praise God. Praise God. Forgive us, Lord. Help us. We know, Lord, beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. The value of something is not declared by its critics. The value of something is not determined by those who lack understanding to properly appraise it. But it's from one who knows. I believe I've read to these saints today an appraisal of the one who knows. Glory to God. You're not appraising us by our shortcomings. You're not appraising us by our failures. You're appraising us by the value of yourself that's in us. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we worship you, Father. Can we just worship him a little bit, saints, before we go? Praise God. Let's bring our gifts, shall we? While we're here in his presence. Let's bring our gifts now. Let at his feet, our hands, our mouth, our ears, our eyes, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Sing it for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The more I seek you, Lord Jesus, we worship you, Father. The more I find you. Hallelujah. Blessed God. The more I find you. Yes, Lord God. Oh, the more I love you. I want to sit at your feet. Drink from this cup in your hand 
lay back against you feel your heart beat this love is so deep it's more than I can understand I rest in your peace it's overwhelming the more I see
sacrificed your life so I could be free, I could be whole, I could tell everyone I know. You thought I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping, so you cleaned me up inside. You thought I was to die Sacrificed your life so I could be free, so I could be whole. I could tell everyone I know. You thought I was worth saving, so you came and changed my life. You thought I was worth keeping, so you cleaned me up inside. You thought I Sacrifice your life so I could be free, I could be whole, I could tell everyone I know.
Lord, as you find me here, I'm desperate for you. Lord, I'm desperate for you.
you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God. Saturate our souls, Lord. This barren land, God. Be our drink, God, we pray, Father. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, the value of something can be determined by the price someone's willing to pay to obtain it. If you want to know how valuable you are to God, look at the price he paid for your fellowship this morning. Look at the price he paid so that we could raise our heads to him and to thank him for being our healer and our deliverer and our savior, our bridegroom, our friend, our comfort, our peace, our joy, our surgeon. Amen. Hallelujah. What, what would you give a person that has everything? What, what would you possibly give a person who has all the wealth and the gold and the silver and the cattle and the trees? And there's only one thing I could give him. That's myself. That's the only thing I could give him. But the most wonderful thing about it is that that's really all he wants. <laughs> He wants your tent. That he can tabernacle in your tent. And God and man can be united as one. The great uniting, the super sign. God in human flesh. Not just the flesh of Jesus 2,000 years ago. Not just the flesh of Paul. Not just the flesh of Brother Branham. But your flesh. I, I don't want to know the Jesus... That, that Brother Brennan preached about just, just knowing that, but I, I want to know him by experience. Amen. My personal revelation, what is the new birth? It's Christ revealed to you personally. You have met this person. You know, there's a quote, reminding me when Brother Donnie was preaching, Brother Brennan was in Arizona, and he says something like this. I can't remember it verbatim, but he says, you Arizonians know that the jewels of the world come out of the dust of the earth. Do you see, friends, you're God's jewels. He brought you out of the dust of the earth. He's got riches untold. Amen. What a privilege it is to serve him. Don't you want to just give yourself away to him this morning? Let's just sing it just before we go. Have you enjoyed the word of God today? Amen. Amen. I'd like to say something else. Uh, my garbage disposal is not named Spot. <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs> I did stagger in the darkness on the hunting trip, but <laughs> that was me. <laughs> Amen. May the Lord bless you. <laughs> Amen. Let's sing it, Brother Harry, just before we go. Can we worship him just one more? Amen. Everybody, you start. You know I can't sing. Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Yes, Lord. I give myself. Away so you can. 
myself away so you can use me. I give myself bow our heads Lord Jesus truly Lord I want to give myself to you God Lord that you could use my eyes that you could use my hands Lord that your spirit could flow through my being Lord to touch someone else's life Oh, God, grant it today, Lord, that the world wouldn't see me, God. That I would be so surrendered to you, Lord, that all they could see would be you. At Walmart, Lord, at the car wash, Lord, wherever we would be. May we be that light in the darkness. May we be that love in the midst of hate. May we be peace in the midst of unrest. Oh God, grant it, Lord. Let us live such a life, God, that someone was blessed because their path crossed our path. Lord, we can only do that if you live in us, Lord. So, Father, I pray today, may we, as a congregation, Lord, whatever position we would have in the body, may we all be willing sacrifices, Lord, that you could say, that's my ruby there, that's my emerald, that's the jewels, that's the jewels of my inheritance. Grant it, Lord Jesus, we pray today. We thank you for the word of God, Lord. We thank you for the things that we've heard, dear God. Oh, that once great mystery secret that was in your mind. Now placed in the hearts of the believers. The book has been opened, Lord. And we see our name. We see our age. We see the Christ of our day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be with our brother now, Lord. Renew his strength. Be with the people, Lord. Brother Randy's family, may you strengthen them, comfort them in the weeks ahead, Lord, we pray. With Brother Jack tomorrow, Lord, as he travels, may the doctor be amazed, Lord, even before his hand would touch him, that the great surgeon did the work, Lord. That's the kind of God we serve. But Lord, if you choose another way, bless our brother Bring him back safely to the foe. Others, Lord, this week it's going through tests or doctor's appointments or whatever it would be, Lord. May they go with this assurance and with this trust of knowing that you are our great physician. Oh God, we surrender ourselves to you today. Go with your people now, Lord. Give them traveling grace. Watch over them on the highways, Lord. Such a dangerous world we live in. You're almost afraid to even look at the person beside you at a red light. 
So protect us on the roads, Lord. As you did, David, of old, go before us, Father, we pray. And go with us and even in us, we ask. If we ask these blessings in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Do you love him? Yeah. Amen. God bless you, saints. Let's go in the fear of the Lord as Brother Harry sings this happy this night. God bless you richly. See you Wednesday night, Lord willing. Supposed to have been in New York this weekend, but we're here, so it's good to be here. Amen. God bless you. I need more of you That's the way it's got to be Start to the finish I need more